Welcome back to another episode of One of These Years, our Detroit Lions podcast. I know we've had a, a few weeks off here. Nick and I had They've sort been of yelling at us, Chris. Sta- <laughs> staggered vacations. Uh, we'll just tell you off the hop here that um, once training gap gets rolling, we'll be back on a regular schedule. You know, once a week, unless there's bigger news, and then maybe twice a week. But once a week yeah. from uh, the start of training camp on through. Uh, at least the end of the season and and then kind of play it by ear once we get into the off season but you know we'll have five months here coming up of uh right weekly programming and also uh i think a kind of a cool announcement coming for the show in a week or two here so stay tuned for that uh, a little bit of an update on uh, sort of where you can find us and everything so absolutely uh, and before we get into that i would say that our uh, not to spoil the announcement but it's only <laughs> can spoil it i think it's only I happening <laughs> basically we're going to have a, a bigger presence on on the athletic uh in the fall i think is more or less the announcement right not to spoil anything one way or the other but yeah like, i just only... didn't want them to change their minds in the next <laughs> yeah, week or two right, but... that's fair but that's only happening because the people out there uh, both here in the United States and our friends in the in the UK and everywhere else uh, have been awesome with this show. Like Chris and I have been blown away by all the support we've gotten, all the messages we get. We get people even during vacation times are like, when you guys are going to record. So it means so much, so, so much to all of us because we started doing this because kind of like we just wanted to and we had fun with it and you guys have had fun along with us. So um, just wanted to say thanks at the top because I know that uh, we haven't talked to uh, the folks in a while and um, that needed to be said along with uh, the announcement there that we have. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we definitely hear you about the schedule too. Uh, yeah. we, we would like to start recording more. The off season gets a little screwy with, uh, said, uh, yeah, how was your vacation? Where did, uh, you, you did the plane trip with the yeah, two little we went kids. To, um, right, yeah, we went to Mexico, uh, which Mexico's... Mexico, it was hot, but it's always hot there, so it was really beautiful, of course, as always. But yeah, we did it with one of the children. Okay, so, all right. Um, yeah, the plane, we got through it. <laughs> we'll say that we got through it. Uh, we've flown with both. I, I have uh, two kids under two uh, and a half, I guess. Our son's two and a half, and our daughter's not, uh, almost 10 months. Um, so difficult, but, you know, got through it. I mean, at this point, a vacation is only... A vacation on paper, right? Chris, you have little kids, so you know, yeah. you know yeah. how that goes, I guess. But yeah, we did a is. week we did a week up north and we went up uh, to yeah. Sutton's Bay up by Traverse City and it was the same thing. Like the day we got home, I was just like yeah, cashed right. out because yeah, I just destroyed was on high alert the whole week trying to like entertain them and keep them away from there. We yeah, rented a danger. house with water in the back, like <laughs> right. right up by the lake, like keep them from running out the back door and diving in yeah. the water. Like <laughs> just, just <laughs> but, saying, uh, be careful for yeah. a thousand times every 20 minutes. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, nice to get away. And uh, yep, for sure. we uh, got the media schedule for training camp this week. Mm-hmm. So July 28th, I believe is our, our opener yeah. and then fans are there pretty soon after that. So, uh, two weeks right around the corner, all of a sudden it sort of sneaks up on you. And then you have five weeks straight of, uh, training camp practices and it, no joint practices this year. So it'll just be the lions going up against themselves for right. five weeks. What do you think of that? They, they've I, done actually, the joint practices. Think, you know, is I don't even know if that's a bad thing necessarily for the Lions. I think the Lions would be one of the few teams that would would be able to sort of spin that as like, well, whatever. Like maybe that's a good thing for us because you know they, they're still in such a, a process of you know, they need to learn so much about I think their roster still and where guys kind of fit. It's probably worse you, for us. It probably is worse for us, and, and you probably <laughs> would still like to get that test maybe in the middle of it. But like you know, more time they can spend on themselves. That's probably for the best. Yeah, I mean, I guess teams are still scheduling the joint practices, so maybe they sneak right. one in here. But Dan Campbell said during mini camps that they weren't going to do that. They tried to set it up, and uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't happening. So, um, yeah, just uh, the three preseason games this year instead of four, and they'll be in Allen Park like, for <laughs> for a month like, uh, doing practices. So, yeah, uh, uh, yeah uh, two weeks until that gets going. So, um, and we'll get into that a little bit. We wanted to talk about we've had a bunch of these uh, film reviews up. On the, mm-hmm. the draft picks, we are have four of them down now. Panay Sewell just went up this week, and man, uh, we can get yeah. more into that, but yeah, that, that was, was a fun, fun one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fun to watch, for sure. So we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, I guess we won't, I don't know if this is considered newsworthy or <laughs> yeah. what. where you file this, but um, 
ongoing. There hasn't topic. been a lot of that? hasn't been a lot of Lions news. Not a lot of transactions. It's always a quieter time of year, and usually the teams are thankful for that because it means their guys are staying out of trouble. But the mm-hmm. one thing that keeps coming up with the Lions here as a talking point for the last two three weeks is that. Suddenly, people seem to have discovered that Matthew Stafford can throw the football <laughs> in the NFL, right. and now the the hype machine for him and for the Rams is kind of just spiraling out of control. I, what's your take on all this? I mean, I, I think Lions fans are uh, probably feeling frustrated. a little slighted yeah. that people didn't <laughs> notice before. But what, what's your take on all this? I think that it's. Yeah, oh yeah, it's bullshit for a few different reasons. I mean, if you're honestly claiming that you didn't, you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of the thing I look at it, where it's like, if you're honestly claiming that you didn't realize that this guy could do this beforehand, then what Kyle are you Shanahan doing? Shanahan said that. <laughs> but like, from the NFL side of things, this is how I look at it. From the NFL side of things, I do think that there might have been a play by some NFL people to like, let's just not talk about Stafford as much as possible and keep him on the low radar so when the time comes we can like maybe maybe we take advantage of that push our chips in and try to get him maybe there was some of that maybe there was gamesmanship going on and maybe that's why those types of things get said I don't know but like for yeah for even Kyle Shanahan to be like I've studied him since he left college and like I think he's underrated and it's like what what the hell are you talking about underrated <laughs> like Matthew Stafford's arm is ridiculous he's a 12-year veteran we've seen him do this for a long time like that's I don't know I mean I think a lot of it is you know, Detroit being Detroit, uh, yeah. the Lions have struggled for so long, obviously, and everything else and the career being what it is. But it's also like, you know, he's not underrated. He's rated exactly what he's rated exactly what he's supposed to be and what he should be. And to just, you know, if you want to say that you think that his connection with Sean McVay would would upgrade his potential, I can certainly get behind that. But I do think that like anything in the offseason, a lot of that gets carried away by. NFL water carriers and sycophants that like to just sort of repeat whatever these guys say and, you know, uh, take no context beyond it. And I guess that's probably it. I mean, who's underrating him? I guess that, like, I think you're right. I think most of this is just that he's been on a bad team. Yeah. uh, And one that doesn't really, even when it's in contention as it, as it was for a few years with Stafford, doesn't necessarily register on the national radar. Um, and so I think that there's there's a lot of that people just all of a sudden kind of taking notice of what he's been doing that haven't watched him. I'm sure there are fans and is, even yeah, analysts right. out there who haven't watched the Lions for the past mm-hmm. four years because they've <laughs> and they're been now admitting it, bad. right? And yeah, now, right. yeah, you're kind of telling on yourself here. So I'm like, <laughs> right. Oh yeah, I forgot about this guy. Which uh, is another topic. I mean, it's like if you're if you're truly you know like if you've forgotten about him and you're covering football. And that's your job. Like, come on. Like, yeah, you're telling on yourself. Like, there's a lot. There's too much of that going on. Uh, and I think that some of this, that that sort of thing, always I think bubbles out up to the surface too, which is uh, always frustrating. I think for a lot of people who watch football <laughs> the way that it's supposed to be watched by people who are supposed to watch it like this, uh, yeah. that when they reveal like, oh, I don't actually watch it all. It's kind of okay. Well, what are you doing then? Well, ESPN just ran uh, its like annual list where they pull whatever like 40 yeah. or 50 personnel folks for for positional rankings and Stafford was like I forget where he was last year he was like 13 or 14 right. he was middle of the pack middle middle he's yeah. six this year right <laughs> <laughs> like, all of a sudden he's now solidly among the top 10 borderline top Firmly. five quarterbacks yeah. in the NFL and I you and I have talked about this a little bit over the last couple of days, but like he is not, it, like you said, maybe McVay makes him a lot better. This offense has a chance to be really good in LA. Yeah, a bunch of weapons that seem like they would work to his skill set. The defense should be better, obviously, than what it was in Detroit. So it just as a whole, I think he's going to be in some better spots. He's not going to be a different quarterback than he's no, been. no. Like the guy that they've seen. I mean, I think you've seen some adjustments from Stafford over time based on who his coordinator is, who uh, the skill position players around him are. I do think he's developed and matured even over the last 100%. handful of years and gotten smarter and um, made some adjustments to his game. But for the most part, we know what Matthew Stafford can and cannot do and the types of mistakes that he will make. Those aren't going to go away entirely. Like He's yeah. still the same guy he's been uh, by and large, and I, I think that that's 
that's kind of the comical part for me. It's just yeah. he's not going to. It's not like the Lions were. It's not like he's suddenly going to be one of the, like a Hall of Fame quarterback just overnight. Like he's going to be a really good quarterback, and you're going to have some occasional ups and downs, and he's going to have the huge arm. He's going to make some big play. Like you know what you're going to get with him. <laughs> so I exactly. don't know. Like it's just funny to see. People kind of coming out of the woodwork with these opinions. The, right. right now. The, the, there, there's two sides of this because, like, the one side is like, there are people that are, you know, claiming to cover the NFL <laughs> that are like, oh, I didn't really, you know, and it's like, what are, then you don't cover the NFL properly and people shouldn't be following them. But from a coaching standpoint <laughs> and from like a personnel people standpoint, like, I can sort of, because the last two years, I think, really with Stafford, right? Like the and the and you got to take it into what it was. In 2019, he only got to play half the season because the injury. Right. But you know, everyone that was here, you know, we all saw what he did in those first in that first half of the season. When we go back to 2019, you know, Chris and I were talking about we thought he was an MVP candidate in the first half of that year. He was ridiculous. Like he was so good because for whatever it was, I think it was like a a bunch of stuff that had gone on, you know, he'd had the, um, the family had had the health scare with, with Kelly. They'd gone through that crazy off season and everything else. And he had this like focus about him that year that just did feel a little bit different. And I, and I think that there was like a level of maybe advancement mentally that maybe some coaches saw in those last two years that would have you believe that, you know, Hey, he's, he's in his prime years of understanding football and and that's when he's going to be at his absolute best right so if you have been following him his whole career you could probably see that progression but yes from a to say that like he's just gonna be this oh my god Matthew Stafford's all of a sudden this different guy that you've never seen anything like this before no he's, he's gonna be the guy that makes a critical error in a game probably every time and he's either going to get you out of that or you're gonna have to rely on your defense to overcome that but he's also going to be the guy that puts you in position to never really be out of a game. And I think that that's still Matthew Stafford. That's He's going to be the guy that we've seen probably in a better offense. But I don't think it's going to shock anybody, not anybody that's paid attention anyway. I do think there is something to be said for what you just mentioned, though. The sort of mental reset yeah. for him. Because I'm sure we know what this team and this franchise has done to some of its best players. We know how yes. losing can kind of wear on you and so just getting somewhere that should be competitive I mean he, he should have a chance to go to the playoffs maybe maybe deep into the playoffs I, I think you know as you mentioned two off seasons ago mm-hmm. was rough from a personal standpoint this right. past off season was everyone oh, yeah. had bad, issues you know maybe, so to just yeah. have a normal off season now again and a, and a fresh start with a good team I mean I think that that could um be a big difference maker I mean it's Detroit has seen it happen like when Justin Verlander left for Houston and then was Mm -hmm. Cy Young again. (laughs) Like, you know, it happens. You get into a better spot and all of a sudden, you know, just the focus sharpens up a little bit and and you're a little happier and it makes a difference. So I think that that could be we could see him play at that level we saw at the start of, you know, 2019, like when he was really good. There's that's in there. That's certainly in there. But he also just did it two years ago. Like 100%. if you didn't notice him it's not over like the first happen. half of 2019. <laughs> what were you I, watching? Like right. they were okay to start that year. Like yeah. they came out, they were competitive to start 2019. He was playing at a ridiculous level. level. They had yeah. some kind of high profile games early on. Like if you didn't, if yeah. by that point, I mean, you're like a decade into his career, if you haven't noticed what he's doing. Stafford's play-action uh, numbers that year were insane. Absolutely insane. If you go back and look, we've all written about it like a thousand times. So I'm always just like, where is this coming from that he's just, he just appeared out of nowhere and yeah. suddenly whatever. And so yeah, I, say, I, I say fans are understandably frustrated, but I think mm-hmm. <laughs> like... Some of us who cover the team also are a little like, what? we've been yeah. telling you this. <laughs> like, exactly. We told you he was good. Uh, right. The Rams obviously thought he was good. They gave up golf and a bunch of draft picks. There are other teams calling that wanted him. Like this wasn't yeah. the Lions just salary cap dumping him for the sake of it. Like there obviously was some demand for him and he's going to go and be a really good quarterback and maybe finds that MVP level again. So it's just, I do think it boils down to just people – it is not yes. paying attention to the Lions. <laughs> the, the the only thing, yeah, the, the only thing that gave me pause was like when Shanahan was talking about <laughs> talking about right. it in a weird way, and maybe it was just how he said it. I don't know, but it made me think a lot about um, 
sort of where Stafford's come from the kid who was the first round pick, you know, the number one pick overall to the guy that he is now. And I can remember talking to um, Mark Richt and Mike Bobo for a story like in, in the first half of that 2019 season when he was playing so well. And it sort of took me back to like Stafford, the prospect all the way through what he is now. And it's like, he's always been this guy who's trying to find that balance between harnessing what is, one of, and I'll say it again, I mean, like the only guy in football that has an arm that can do more than Stafford is Mahomes. And I don't know if there's another person on that list. So you're finding the balance between the guy that can harness that and can see the entire, you know, sort of field at a really slow level. And I think he's at, he's found the latter part of that now. And that'll be the interesting part. And I think that's probably where McVeigh and, and Shanahan go when they talk about like, it's a thing that has been going on now for a couple of years. And if you've really been paying attention to it, you've seen it. And that's why a lot of people are excited. I think in football to see Stafford, you know, for sure. With some, yeah. with some ocean breezes and a, in a good offense and like some, some cool stuff and, and let's see what happens. And I think that's everybody, right? I think lions fans, even the ones that are like heartbroken are like, still want to see him still want to see what happens. Cause it's, you know, it's super fascinating to see how this is going to play out. Yeah. I, I do think that that's, Interesting from a national perspective too, and just because and because he went to such a huge market, I am kind of mm-hmm. curious to see like how he fits there. You know what his personality, yeah. how his personality plays in L.A. Yeah. and with Sean McVay because he's not he's not like a what you would think of as like a Los Angeles no. personality. No. Like he's not no, going to be out in front of the camera yeah. unless they tell him he has to be. They're going to um, have to win, and it's going to be awkward if they don't. <laughs> so. Right. But I do That'll think you're right. I mean, like he, this is a guy who's t- he's about to jump into the top 15 all time for passing yards. Yeah, he's been right. in the league for you know over a decade now. We've seen him be at that elite level, and he's been really good in those moments where you know games are kind of on the line. Like he's had some really dramatic yeah. comebacks and fourth you're quarter moments. It, like right? it's so never it'd be fun it, yeah. to see him. Mm-hmm. You know, in January, playing a home playoff game against the Seahawks or Packers or whoever it is. I mean, I think right. it would be fun for not just Lions fans to see it and Rams fans to see it, but I think everyone's kind of curious to know what it would yeah. look like. So I, I understand that part of it. But yeah, and he's there, you know, like that's the other part of it. Like the even the time that he spent with Bevel last year, we could see it here where he's mentally Stafford I'm talking about like is mentally there and here for it like I'm ready I want Mm -hmm. to do this badly you know like when when he when Bevel had him talk to the team about the importance of competing and despite everything else like you could see we talked about this in December like there was like a pain there that Stafford had that we could sort of feel you know being around him every day like not just with COVID but just like man this when are we going to catch some kind of break I cannot sit these out anymore I'm getting old so all those things, I mean, he's an interesting topic. I think that's still part of why, you know, people are just talking about him this offseason because it's like, you know, how's this going to go? And is are we going to see something unique and special? Because we could. I mean, if he's if he's at a, at that place where he's willing to do whatever, then, you know, maybe he pushes it and, and yeah. they go and do something special. I mean, of course, the Lions really need him to be terrible Bad, so they yeah. get like a <laughs> yeah, number nine right. draft pick. But uh, yeah, right. that's another topic. We'll see how the season goes. So <laughs> right. I, I mentioned the uh, – Film reviews, uh, we have yep. done four of them now. Panay Sewell, uh, I'm going to forget somebody, Derek Barnes, yeah. uh, Fatou Malifanu, and uh, who was the first I'm in, one? Amon St. Brown. There we go. Um, of course, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so um, all of those are up at theathletic.com. Uh, Panay Sewell was our most recent one. I know this was one you were waiting on yeah. here. Uh, uh, you love that line play. And it was – it's some of the stuff – that you can go back and find in his film. It, it's crazy. I, it, you like can't even really compare it across the board to anything because like the one of the first games I pulled up and watched, I think it was uh, Stanford. It was from his freshman year, like right. late September, his freshman year. And I was watching and like, this is pretty good. You know, this is his fourth start. And then it kind of clicks in your head that he was 17 in that game. <laughs> yeah. Like what in the world? Yeah. How is this even possible? It's how is this even possible is like the best way to say this because it's physically like the first there's a highlight there's all these highlight tapes right that you you could find of him on YouTube and huddle and everything else and there's one that 
pretty much every one of them now that's clipped up starts with there's a play. I think it's the first play or one of the first plays of the game against Auburn in 2019 where they run that little screen into the flat where he sort of like swim moves a defensive end at the line of scrimmage, right? Like just gets off the ball like a house of fire. And then you you wrote it in the story and it's perfect. Like he looks like a guy that hit the star in, in Mario and is like plastic. running yeah. like a psycho. Like he's moving at a speed that you're just like, whoa. Like because he's still 340 pounds and 6'4 and everything else. And it's not just how fast his body's moving, but it's like the fluid motion, all the power, balance. And then he gets out into space against like a safety or something and just buries the guy without losing his balance and hits someone else like down. And I'm just watching this like this is ridiculous. This is not this is like if you were making a player athletically in a video game. This is, you know, this is what he can do from an athletic standpoint. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, those you do not see this type of thing from an offensive lineman in a run blocking uh, type of setting. The things that Oregon was able to do with him, you know, with screens and and just anything with, you know, outside zone, any kind of reach stuff. He just does stuff that you just can't, you can't replicate. And um, those are the things that make him generational. And when we talk about that, it's like the traits that he has. It's not necessarily means that he's going to be a generational player. And I think we saw a lot of people in the comments that are like, you know, I'm getting a little uncomfortable with the hype, and I totally understand what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. But like, there are generational pieces to him athletically that we just can't ignore. They're there, and they're impossible to to ignore. He's just completely different in every way. Yeah, and I, I think I mentioned it. I think we talked about it a little bit in the article too. Like the Oregon would run some of the the RPO action, yeah. just where they'd send. Whatever it'd be, Sewell. He's an extra a, receiver, basically. Sewell and a tight yeah. end and a guard or whatever would go one way, and then the rest of the line would go the other way, and then they'd end up running that direction behind Sewell. You basically didn't need the other two guys. Nope. <laughs> nope. You just get him out front, and even when he wasn't getting, even when he wasn't catching a linebacker or a safety or cornerback or whatever and burying someone into the turf, just the athleticism and speed to get out front, like you still. Right. If you're not making contact with him, you still got to get around him to get exactly. to the ball carrier. And yeah. it's a 300 pound guy flying downfield with his head on a swivel. And it's really special to watch him get out front like that. And I think that that is, you know, I think we kind of skim over some of this stuff when we're talking about what the Lions or what teams do in general with their offenses. But when you're talking about trying to get DeAndre Swift, for example, to the to the edge, yeah, and the differences between Sewell or Tyrell Crosby or Vitai going out it's there, not, like yeah, that's right. a significant difference. There's yeah. times where, you know, DeAndre Swift probably had to slow himself down and make sure there were guys out front of him last year because right. he was getting out there faster than his offensive lineman. That's not going to happen if Panay Sewell is your guy going out there. And same thing you mentioned on screens. I think they can run halfback screens, but you also can. Use him as sort of your primary guy if you want to run some of those inside wide receiver screens. I mean, there's just so much yep. you can do with him in the run game and in that, you know, kind of behind the line of scrimmage passing game that uh, opens up then in turn everything else downfield. So I think that, yeah, athletically, it's it, it, it was really hard. Like you always go back and try to, well, this guy looks like, you know, ex-NFLer who's been in the league for 10 yeah, years and right. try to find exactly. those comparisons. And there are guys, There's there certainly are yeah. athlete, like NFL tackles who have been at Good that athletes. elite yeah, level right, exactly. athletically, mm-hmm. but right. not at 17 and 18 no. and starting in the Pac-12. Like the the age factor here is such a big deal for him because you can project this out and say, all right, well, this is your guy for 10 years. And, he's, and we talked about it. He'd be 30. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah, right. And the reason that we talk about that like it's possible, and Chris just said it, it's not just because he's 17, but like he's perpetually two or three years ahead of like everything. He's always like at a, at a spot. And he's talked about this before, like when he was a youth player playing up and all this. Like he, he plays older. He plays – he's a smart football player. Like – he mentioned not, not every block, you just said this, not every block that he makes is, you know, he's not pancaking someone every time. He's not constantly, 
you know, looking to just destroy someone on every single snap or whatever. It's not always a highlight clip like that, right? But we clipped a play in this story that we wrote um, from the Cal game. I'm not sure which year it was from, uh, where it's like third and five, and all Oregon does is sort of similar to what you mentioned earlier. They sent four linemen in a slide protection one way, and Sewell just basically loops out into the flat, and they just run a swing pass. And he is so fast out into the flat, he gets a linebacker cornered with enough time to look back at the quarterback to see where he's throwing the ball. So he looks back to Justin Herbert to see where the ball's going and then decides rather than just destroying this linebacker, which clearly he could have done, he like moves away from him and then goes and picks off a safety and they just walk a first down on third and five. It was like easiest third and five thing. And it's all because the whole thing is made from Sewell. Like those are the things that people don't, don't do <laughs> like that's just completely different his ability to get into space you don't see it from anybody else and then the thing that makes him special that gets everybody excited is he thinks like a guy that you know he was 17 years old and he thinks like a guy that was 21 you know what I mean so what's he going to be like as a 22 year old 23 year old NFL player who's having all this time you know to just be with football nothing else nothing else nothing else I mean you you would think that if it projects out he could be really, really special. And that's, you get a lot of like Ragnow vibes plus an athlete that is just different. And, you know, we'll see if it all clicks, of course, but that's, that's the vibe you get from him. Yeah. And I think one of the other things we pointed out in that story is just that beyond the run blocking, like the thing that jumped out for me in his pass protection was that that athleticism, there, there are some bad reps and there are some moments when he gets beat and we can talk about those, but Mm -hmm. there also are times where it looks like he should get beat Yes, and, and he, he recovers and it just it is seamless like he has the athleticism to even if a guy looks like um i think it was uh one of the other play maybe one of the other plays we clipped was i think it was the utah playing in the yeah. pac-12 championship it might have been yep. bradley and nye who's in the nfl now like spun inside and 99 percent of offensive tackles on the move that he made there the positioning that sewell had yep that's gonna be a sack or a at least a, a hit in the He would pocket. have knocked him on his ass. I mean, anybody yeah. else would have been... Yeah, and it was right. a great spin move. He set it <laughs> right. up perfectly. He had yeah. Sewell leaning. And Sewell took two... He, he kind of rocked, and then he took two steps back inside and closed off the pocket and let... I think it was Justin Herbert at that point get out and yeah. make a play. And it's that type of stuff where you look at it and say, okay, well, even if he is overmatched, even if some of these defensive linemen throw things at him as a rookie that he hasn't seen before... You're going to save some plays just because he has quickness that other guys don't have. Yeah, and so right. plays, you know, moves that would work on, and I don't want to pick on Tyrell Crosby, but moves that would work on Tyrell Crosby. Right. Or anybody. Or Decker. Or, or De- <laughs> Maybe, you know. Right. I not, mean. Right. It's not going to work with the same right. rate of regularity as it, it would work with uh, his with Sewell. So, yeah, it's. It's crazy. I mean, the, the, the negatives though are. Yeah. I don't even. I don't even know if you want to call them negatives, but sort of the maybe the issues that stuff that needs to be cleaned up. Um, what worries you as we get into training camp here about you know because he hasn't played. <laughs> he hasn't right. played since Jan- whatever it was January first, twenty twenty. So it's going to be a long gap until week one or at least till the preseason. So what worries you here as they move uh, forward? That's number one. I mean, I really, I'm, I'm really, really interested to see how fast, you know, he's hitting at the level we're used to seeing him from on these clips, you know, once camp gets rolling, you know, once they get into the second or third week, right? Like I, I really want to see, you know, is there going to be a dip? Is there going to be a, you know, drop off? You just don't know. It's been so long and this is such a unique situation. So like, that's number one right there is, you know, how's that going to look? Um, and then number two, it's, there's still, and we talked about it, there, there are lapses with his pass pro. Um, and for this reason, and this reason is, chief in, among it and also that Decker is a more lat- natural left tackle. People talk, ask us these questions. Why isn't he playing left tackle? Why isn't he playing left tackle? Let him play right tackle because I think that he's still learning technique um, from a pass pro standpoint because like you mentioned, the uh, the, the, the Anai play there against Utah, he, he gets beat. Um, it You just don't see it a lot in college because his balance is like he has those like tree trunk legs that when he puts them in the ground, they just do not move. You know, it's like he, you can't knock him off balance unless you're just like a premium, premium athlete. Like, you know, if you're Derek Brown 
got him like once or twice. And he got him later in the game with something that Sewell had. Marlon Davidson, I think, in that Auburn game also had got him. And that was another thing I'd noticed. Like, if he was playing against a savvy, you know, rusher, and he did, you know, quite a bit. That's the good thing about Sewell is there is actually a lot of tape where he did play against, you know, Kenny Willekes as a younger player. You know, a lot of these guys that are really smart players. Um, they got him later in games with something that he hadn't seen on tape from them, right? Like something that he hadn't noticed or was ready for. And I think a lot of times, like anybody else in college, he was probably getting comfortable with, I'm a better athlete than this guy and I'm just going to win in doubt. You know, I'll be able to recover. In the NFL, that's just not going to happen. So like how quick is that going to click for him from a pass pro standpoint? And then, you know, Where's he at? I guess that's that's I guess the big question, right? It's we just we haven't seen him do anything, you know, in a year and a half or whatever how long it's been. I don't know. I'm curious for you too because we talked about it a little bit in the story, but we just don't know. There's a lot of mystery there still too. Yeah, and that's kind of the difficulty I think when you to circle back to not having a joint practice. And I understand right. like you want the install periods, you want some time around this coaching staff and everything, but that would have been yes. useful to get him two or three days up against. JJ Watt's offensive yeah, right. defensive line yeah. or the Steelers certainly the Steelers defensive line like just get him some looks and, because I think he's going to benefit a lot and probably has a little bit already although they haven't been able to do you know much stuff through minicamp and mm-hmm. everything but I think he's going to benefit a lot from having you know Trey Flowers and Romeo Okora and yeah, then right. Julian Okora and whoever else lining up opposite him because you're going to get some different looks and you're going to get at least in Romeo Okora and Trey Flowers guys who are uh, experienced guys and Flowers is a really savvy player both against the pass and especially against the run like I think he's going to challenge Sewell if mm-hmm. they get that matchup and and he'll learn some things from those because. Yeah, I mean, it's just going to take – I think it is probably going to take a little while, and there are some of those reps where you can't really knock him off balance. It doesn't happen very much, but he occasionally will take himself off balance. Right, uh, exactly. And we saw that like, – He'll take himself uh, off balance. Yeah. Willikis did that to him once or twice where yep. you know, he, he – Sewell popped up at the snap and, and flew into his stance and was waiting for him and went for that initial punch and Willikis right, just kind of hesitated yeah. a little bit and then mm-hmm. beat him to the outside. And right. uh, I don't think any of those plays wound up being sacks, but they're there on tape if you go looking for them, you know, where, yeah. where you could say, all right, we need to just be a little more patient here and we need to understand what we're seeing a little bit better. And that's going to be tough early on when, yeah, he has he's never right. played in the NFL he hasn't played right tackle since high school. <laughs> you know, he hasn't played a game in two and that's, years. You know, and he mentioned that in minicamp. Um, and, you know, people, I don't know, they took it one way or the other. But, like, he's not wrong when he says that, you know, flipping from left to right when you haven't really done it in a long time, it's not nothing. You know, I mean, it's it's going to that's going to be an adjustment, too. And, again, that all goes back into the same equation of he just hasn't played. He, we haven't seen him do anything, you know, at all football-wise. And he's a lineman. It's not like he's – you know, I, I look at guys that sat out or opted out of the NFL season. Some of these, if you're a receiver, you can still get work. If you're a DB, you can still sort of get work. If you're a lineman, you, you can't, you know. So those are the things that we have to sort of see as he gets back hitting. And But that's the case for a lot of these guys, too. It's, he's not the only one. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, Levi and uh, some of these other rookies, too, are in the same boat. So we'll see how that uh, clicks, I guess, for him. Yeah, that comes back to the athleticism too, though. Moving from the left to the right side, yeah. like you'd be more worried about it, I think, if it was exactly, yeah, if, right. You know, just some guy in the mid rounds. If it was Decker, for sure, right. yeah, then I would be. <laughs> yeah, pursuing. well, yeah, yeah even that. And I no mean, offense I, to him, but yeah, I think he would understand that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that that alone, that athleticism alone, gives Sewell a chance to be fine there and be really good there. You know, yeah. Um, and I think that you kind of plan on covering up some of those gaps with just. All right. Well, it, it, you're not going to be perfect, but just go play your game, and I think that mm-hmm. they'll be able to do a lot of that. And it's as you said, in the run game, this is a team that's going to have to run the ball. It's yes. a coaching staff that wants to run the ball. We know what Anthony Lynn can do when he has a, a really dynamic rushing attack, and in that alone, you know, to have Decker on the left, Ragnow at center, and uh, now Sewell at right tackle you're going to be able to knock some teams around if you get even yeah. remotely decent guard play from Jordan right. Jackson and Vitae or whomever's in there. Like this is, this is something you can use to stay in games this year and build on for the future. So that, I mean, that's what you want. That's what you're looking for. Right. right. 
One last thing with Sue before we move on to the other guys, because and we talked about this a little bit in the story, but I wanted to get more of uh, sort of your thoughts on this. But when we talked about sort of the um, his sort of progression, like where where would you like him to be, you know, at the end of year one? Where would you like him to be, you know, sort of like amongst his peers, how he's playing, you know, this this type of thing. Uh, it's it's a complicated one still because of COVID and everything else. But I'm curious when you look at this. Sort of by the end of this year, where would you where would you like to see him at in terms of? I think that means he's on track or whatever. Like, does that make sense? Like, where what do you what are you thinking that I in my head right now? This is what Penny Sewell should look like at the end of year one. I mean, I think that just based on the athletic traits and where he was drafted, like you need him to be pretty steady, like yeah. top half of the often right tackles in football. And I think that the the ceiling for him is to be, I mean, there were some rookies on the offensive line at tackle last year that stepped in and were just game changers for teams. Right. And I think that there's the potential for him to do that. Um, again, I, as you said, are trying to temper the expectations a little just because it's, he is a rookie. He hasn't right. played in a yeah. while. Yeah, right. Like there's always going to be some Rocky moments, but I, I think that the, you want to see, Starting right away, but especially as the year goes on, you want to see that he's a comfortable playing right tackle and that everything you liked about his game at left tackle still fits there. Because if he really struggles with that transition for whatever reason and it's really clunky, Mm -hmm. now suddenly you've got a bit of a headache on your hands because you don't want to move Decker necessarily. And if Sewell, you're looking at it and saying, well, Sewell needs to be at left tackle. Now you've got kind of an issue. So I think that that's number one for me is just to make sure that this all still works Mm -hmm. at right tackle. Um, But then I think the big thing is, you know, coaches always talk about balance and that's, you think about run game versus pass game, but I think balance in this offense will be that you can run this exact same things to the left side as you run Mm -hmm. to the right side. And so I think that that for me will be something to track too. If they're doing everything on Sewell's side that they're doing on Decker's side, that's a pretty good indication that they trust him and believe that they can work this offense behind him. That's a great point because I think that that would work the way you'd want it to with your run game uh, and everything else. It would help with there too. For me, I look at it a lot like um, I've looked at it in kind of sort of the way that Ragnow entered the league, not just because I guess probably because he's just here and Ragnow, I think, and I think more and more people are starting to see this now that he is, arguably the best center in football and he's still a pretty young player, but he's that way because he's, he also is a freakyish athlete. And, you know, his first year, obviously it wasn't at the position where he ends up playing, but you know, he enters the league and is immediately physically capable of hanging. Like, you know what I mean? He's not getting Mm -hmm. overwhelmed. Um, He's not getting embarrassed and he's doing some embarrassing himself. He's making mistakes. It's not perfect. But he's, you, you could feel him. You know what I mean? And I think for me, that's by the end of this year with Sewell, one way or the other, that's what I would like to see. And I think that if we see that and he enters year two, kind of the same way that Frank did in, in a situation where it was like, okay, yeah, this is this is working. He's everything you want him to be. And he's really, really steady. And this is going to really pay. That's, that's, I think, a similar, if it's, if it's similar to the way that, sort of Ragnow entered the league, then I think you're exactly where you want to be. And you're pretty close to being exactly what Chris just talked about. Like the offensive line here, if it goes the way you want it to go, if you have two guys that are really special in Sewell and Ragnow, and one guy that is just an anchor, steady, good, smart football player, above average and Decker, you can fill in the gaps with the guards and you've, you're at a head start with Jonah Jackson and everything else. And we'll see about Vitae. But I mean, like you're in a really good place here to possibly have an offensive line that could be not only the strength of your team, but like a, a group that's others envy, you know, in the league. And I think that they're not far away from that being a possibility here, a real possibility. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's stay on that side of the ball and talk about Amon Ross St. Brown is one of the other uh, film studies we did because this I mean he's gonna have to play and play a lot yeah, it looks lot. like and uh, we've only gotten uh, some brief glimpses of him um, you know rookie camp and mini camp and uh, we'll see what that looks like in training camp too but uh, I think first impressions you can kind of 
see a lot of the things that they like about him just in, you know, kind of how he practices and how he runs yeah. his routes and how he uses his body. Like all that still shows up, even though, you know, you're not really in game situations so far. So what do you, I mean, what do you want to see from him? I guess, as we go into July and August here, I want to see the same um, guy that we saw on his freshman tape at USC, the guy that like entered the Pac-12 and just did not care and was fearless and just entered a situation that most freshmen enter and are very timid and are very, you know, sort of feeling their way around in the dark for a while. And it's understandable because it's a different level of speed and everything else that you're going to see from DBs. It's going to be the same thing all over again, but ramped up. But like, I think you're going to see a guy, if we see a guy that's sort of has that fearlessness and that edge of like, I can compete with anybody here and I'm going to go out and do it. I'm going to compete for the ball in the air. I'm not going to be afraid of, you know, those types of situations. And I think that that's going to be a good thing for the Lions in year one, because he's, like you said, he's going to have to be able to play a lot and sort of be relied on a lot and probably make a lot of catches. I mean, like this is a guy that you would think by looking at the rest of the roster here, you're going to want him to be your top slot. I would think by, Pretty quickly, I I would I would assume because of the things he's able to do quickly in quick situations. I mean, he was a super productive guy at every point in his career in high school, in college, all the way through. Because he just he's just an, an above average competitor, I guess is what I would say. And we talked about how he practices and everything else. He's an above average competitor, and that comes from preparation and everything else. So that's what I think you're looking for is, is he going to be able to have the same type of impact right away and shave off some of the lag that a lot of rookies and a lot of younger players often go through? Because his athletic ceiling isn't the highest. It's probably the lowest of anybody in this class for the Lions. But mentally, you know, he might be on a different level. And I think that that's sort of what, what separates him. Yeah. And the, I mean, the route running is there. I mean, I think we saw that this isn't a guy that, you know, a lot of times you get these college guys and you say, well, he ran two routes for his whole career. Yeah, we got to right. teach him everything else. Like this is a guy who I think he understands that route tree. He, he understands, you know, leveraging at the, the top of those routes and um, all those things. I think you get a little bit of, um, I'm not going to compare him to Marvin Jones because they're different players, but in terms of like the contested catch situations, like I think he might be right. the the Lions' best option there immediately. Like, I think he's one of those guys that he's probably going to be one-on-one a lot, whether he's in the slot or outside. And if Jared Goff's in trouble, probably could to do do worse than to just exactly. kind of throw it in the vicinity and yep. see what happens. And I think he's yeah. one of those guys. I am – as we go forward, I do want to see sort of what the plan is for him within this offense because we talked for basically the entirety of Bob Quinn's tenure about the Lions needing kind of a, a game-breaking slot guy, someone who could really right. pressure teams with speed and, and yards after catch ability. That's not him. No. You know, he's he's not a burner. He's not uh, – I mean, he can get vertical. He can get over the top, especially because he is really good with his body positioning and all that. But, you know, he's not a 4-4 guy. He's not going to catch it underneath and and beat the entire defense on his own. He does have some shiftiness to him. We've seen him return kicks and everything. He can uh, get to some yards after the catch. But I think he's going to be an inside-outside guy for them. And so I think that just sort of tracking how they use him and how they play off uh, TJ Hawkinson and, and Swift and the other receivers they have on the outside will be something – I'm interested to see because again, he's like, if he's not your starting slot immediately, I don't know who is at this point. I guess yeah, I, don't I don't know either. who the other option would be. Because really. He's a more efficient. Um, he's like a more efficient Cephas. I mean, really in a lot of the things that he does like yeah. Cephas, Cephas does a lot of stuff. And we've talked about this a bunch. Um, with his sort of like short area quickness that gets him open and he can make some things happen. But like St. Brown is just like a relentless, very disciplined route runner who can find spots and zones just consistently. But that's sort of what you're going to get. That's going to be the top end of it. It's not going to be a lot, uh, a lot else beyond that. It's in, in a lot of cases. And I think for what the Lions want to try to do, that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, if it's not him, that's one question. And then the other one would also be is 
he's only going to give you so much. He's not, he's not going to give you, you mentioned there's some things he can do that remind you a little bit of a Marvin Jones, but he is not Marvin Jones. Right. And it still, you know, leads me to believe that this is still going to be kind of a by committee situation, no matter what happens here. I'm not sure if, uh, anybody is going to nail down anything other than maybe Tyrell Williams and I guess Perriman. But like beyond that, I think a lot of guys are going to get a chance. And I think that that's probably, I think he'll have a chance to probably jump the line though, because of, you know, how just disciplined he is. And we saw that in minicamp. We saw that in OTAs, you know, he gets open all the time and, you know, didn't see too many drops. Um, you don't see too many flashy things from him, but it's, you know, the same thing over and over again. And I think that in this league that works and, you know, he's onto something there and I think that'll work for him. The other thing too would be, you know, you know, he's going to be in shape. I mean, you could watch him at the end of games and it's the same thing. And how many times do we watch a USC game where they're down 17 and they're throwing the thing all over the place and he is running all over the place and he is not slowing down. He's still the same guy. I think he has a chance to play a lot. It's just, you know, how much is he going to help you, I guess, and, and how much realistically can, realistically can you ask for him, I suppose, would be another question. I mean, I I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that he is the leading receiver on this team this year. He could be up there for sure. <laughs> like, maybe not, I, maybe I, not in yards, but maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe yeah, too, yeah. I mean, in tar- I, like in targets and in catches, I yeah. think – there's a possibility it comes down to St. Brown and Hawkinson, frankly. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> like exactly. I could, because Perriman, uh-huh. I don't, I, Perriman's another guy that I kind of want to see what they're going to do with him. I could see him just being like primarily a vertical guy for them, and that's pretty much it. Tyrell right. Williams, Anthony Lynn, when we talked to him, said Tyrell Williams and Brashard Perriman are, are interchangeable in this offense, but Tyrell Williams to me is the more versatile of those he's two their guys. number one receiver yeah, and, for sure. right and he's someone that they can move around he's someone that they can you know that you can put yep uh st brown and tyro yep. williams on mm-hmm. the same side and bumps uh bump st brown outside like i think that tyro williams is probably the more versatile option but um again i don't know that he's a guy you're feeding seven eight targets to every game necessarily so i think that if st yeah. brown comes in and kind of hits the ground running here just based on where he's going to play and all that. Uh, I I think it's possible that he's kind of a high volume guy early on. And, and uh, I don't yeah, know. Probably <laughs> probable. It's probably, it's yeah. probable. I think we can even say that he's a high volume. I just don't see any other way that that's not because he's going to be ready to play. You know, I think that that's the thing I land on every time where it's like, I have questions always. We, every time we go out there, we have questions about his seat. What Cephas are we going to see today? Right? right. Like we still do. I mean, fair or not. We really don't have a lot of those so far with St. Brown. It's usually you know what you're going to get. And, and for a team like this, I, I think that that's going to mean a lot. And, that you know, if, if he's healthy and I think so far so good, you know, that'll be the, the situation. Only, I would say probably, yeah. The only thing for me is I don't know. And, again, this goes back to just kind of waiting and seeing what this offense is going to be. I don't know how many times they're going to be in three receiver sets. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't jump also ahead true. of Perriman and Tyrell Williams – you know, that's going to limit him because this is Hawkinson's going to be on the field. Darren Fells is probably going to get a lot yes, of snaps if yes, they want to run point. the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, we might see some two back stuff. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know how much he's going to be out there, but I do think that there's a lot to like about him. Right. And again, some of the same things we talked about about Sewell. It's just, you know, you could teach these guys all you want, but they have to be able to understand it and absorb it and then translate it out to the practice field. And you can see that St. Brown can do that you know he's a guy that can you can give a a, a point or two Antoine Randall can pull him aside and say well next time out there try this and see yeah. if it works and he can go do exactly what right. he was told to do and make it fit and so I think that that's huge for a rookie um other side of the ball we got a couple more of those film reviews mm-hmm. uh Derek Barnes um yeah this I don't know on this linebacker core. I think we have a lot of spots where we're saying, I don't know, but you know, yep. Alex Anceloni's in here. Uh, Jamie Collins is back. That's probably going to be all the linebackers that are on the field. Most of the time, unless you're, we are counting, you know, Alcora and, and flowers as outside linebackers. So does Derek Barnes have a path to playing time, uh, you know, kind of out of the gate here? Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, that's one. And we didn't see enough from him um, because he was dinged up or whatever uh, during OTAs and minicamp. I don't know, because 
I don't think I'd be surprised if we don't see a lot from him maybe this year. Uh, but I almost kind of wonder, like we've talked about so many times, like maybe he, we're going to have to see a lot. <laughs> we're going to have to see a lot from him just because of the situation. But I, I, it's going to depend on, you know, how quick he can sort of get over the hiccups with IDs that, you know, IDing his reads and, and sort of yeah reacting. Because I think that that's the one thing that I, you could still see consistently from his tape at Purdue where he has all the stuff you want physically. You know, he can get sideline to sideline in pretty much any situation. When he does make a clean read on something and he just goes and gets it, it's all, you know, it's all there. I mean, he's he can blow up a play and go chase a guy out of bounds, all that sort of thing. The free-flowing stuff, the guy who can kind of play all over the place inside out and play without a gap, you know, the stuff that we talked about with Aaron Glenn. Perfect for all that. Prototypical in terms of body type and everything else, a former running back, blah, blah, blah. But, you know... There are times where he takes a wrong step and he pays for it because he's not very big and he's still working on, you know, reading the smoke, I guess. Because guys this size, you know, and we talked a little bit about Devin Bush in there, and that's just because I, he and Roquan Smith were the first two guys as recruits that I remember watching uh, and thinking, okay, well, obviously this game, the game's changing a little bit. They're going with these types at linebacker. And the first thing you think with those guys are, what are they going to do if a guard catches them? Are they going to be able to get off it? And guys like that, they can, they react faster to where a guard isn't going to be able to catch them. The guard now has the problem. Whereas Derek Burns is still in that there is a little bit of hitch there that needs to go away because when he gets caught by a guard or a tackle or even a tight end sometimes, it it can end badly. And I think that we've seen that quite a bit on the tape there. Yeah, I think they're going to find spots for him in their sub packages and against the pass because I, he is someone that, he does have that athleticism. He's also really intriguing as a blitzer and pass rusher. He had success right. at Purdue right. playing off the edge before they moved him to more of an off-ball role. So I think that they're going to find some spots for him there. That'll require some juggling with Anzalone and Collins and Barnes. Like I don't know how many linebackers you'd have on the field in those spots, but I think he'll get some chances there. I, I mean, a lot of this <sighs> – Jelani Tavai is a guy that we're going to be talking about, I feel like, throughout camp. And to me, kind of looking at the breakdown of this, I I think Anzalone is someone that you maybe, I don't know what you'd be saving him for those passing downs, but given his injury history and sort of the type right. of player he is, I don't think he's playing 100% of the snaps. I don't Probably think not. he's in there on your base defense all the time. So who is going to be more effective next to Jamie Collins if you want to give Anzalone some time off? Is right. it going to be... Derek Barnes, is he going to be able to make those adjustments that quickly? Or is someone like Jelani Tavai going to continue to progress? We've heard the hype from the coaching staff. Like, I think maybe he gets some reps too. So we'll see on Barnes. I think you kind of hit on the big question. Like, how quickly does does he start to process these things? Can he be a little more physical? That was the other thing Aaron Glenn yeah. talked about, mm-hmm. you know, playing inside. If you're going to play against the run – you got to go up and be willing to just yeah. Oh, yeah. lay out be, a guard. Yeah, <laughs> you right. got to take him on if the op, if it's there. Like that they're not designing this uh, as Glenn told us they're not drawing this up like the previous uh defensive scheme where they like just have Jared Davis run downhill and try and blast the center and that was the <laughs> if it didn't right. work the play was over. But there's going to be moments where you're going to need to get in there and get into the box and kind of lower your shoulder and 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 take on alignment and and can you do that? I think that as you said, that's a that's a key here. So I don't know. I mean, I think that the upside. I understand why they liked him. I think he's got a uh, could have a really good future in the NFL. We're talking about Sewell and St. Brown being in the starting lineup week one. I, I'm not ready to go there with Derek Barnes yeah. just yet. Uh, there's still, you know, he played running back in high school as well, obviously, and there's still, I think, a little bit of running back in there that needs to get go away. And that's kind of what Eric Glenn maybe is probably talking about because he needs to be able to flip from, you know, a running back can sort of poke and hunt and peck and sort of be a little patient and that you want him to be right. Uh, linebacker, you know, you don't want him to be overextending himself or whatever and to be insane. But like to your point earlier, there are a lot of instances on his tape where it's like, if he would have just shot himself out of a cannon and just knocked the hell out of a guard in that situation, this thing would have been over. And he didn't because he was like waiting or 
maybe he, he you know he's thinking too much and i think that he needs to be able to close that gap between you know thinking about what he's seeing and just doing it so he's another one where you look at the track right and say ideally you'd like him to be able to start doing that this year and you'd like to say that by mid-season you can count on him to go in there and, and take some of those reps that we talked about to, to maybe extend, you know, Anzalone a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, not ready to go there yet because we haven't seen it. And those are questions, real questions that, that have to be answered because uh, he does have a physical, like, you know, St. Brown is the same way. There's a physical sort of, uh, we talk about speed with Barnes, but there's a physical limitation in terms of his size that he does have to overcome here. And the mental part of it's going to be a big piece. So Melifanu, I know, was a guy you were super intrigued by after yeah. they picked him just because of you kind of watched and said, well, maybe he's a big cornerback, maybe he's a mm-hmm. safety, maybe he's in between. Um, has anything – did anything change for you when we went back and watched that film? And Would you still think he's potentially a chess piece guy for them? Yes, I still think he's absolutely potentially that. But, but he is further away, I think, possibly – um, than most of these other guys. So I, when we talked about this a bunch, like I think you got to just leave him at corner and let him learn how to play corner and then see right. where it goes. And I think that that's all of it has to start and stop there. Like I don't even know if you want to even get into a conversation with him right now. If you're, you know, if you're Aaron Glenn or Aubrey Pleasant about any of this stuff, other than just like, let's just go play corner, figure out how to be a corner and, you know, learn this position the same way they're doing with um, Dunbar. And then just see where it goes from there. And But all of the stuff that we see and all the glimpses that show up from him, um, yeah, I mean, it's all there. I mean, he could play any position in the back end that you want in theory. Uh, it would just be a matter of there's a lot, there's a lot there in terms of growth, in terms of like physical. And we could see this too in minicamp. There were a couple times he got bullied that he just looked like he was overwhelmed. And those are things that the the margins there in terms of, I guess, being comfortable with everything that comes with this, you know, being a defensive back in the NFL is still a process for him. So I think start small with him for sure. But yeah, he's still super, super interesting, I think, all the way. Yeah, I mean, the size, uh, the length, it all... He, I mean, he really does look more like a safety. You don't see a yes. lot of six, two and a half cornerbacks out there. Nope. Uh, and so he does look more like a safety. But I, I do think that there, um, you mentioned Dunbar, and I think A will help to kind of sit and, and learn behind him because he's a veteran guy who's been through this. But also, uh, Dunbar is a guy who is hasn't been playing the position that long either. So um, there, there's going to be some things that maybe he can teach Melifan with just as mm-hmm. in terms of what he's learned trying to make that transition from wide receiver to cornerback and how he's made it happen so quickly. And I also would say that just thinking about what Aaron Glenn wants in his cornerbacks, and we talk about you know the height and the, the speed and everything, and like every I think most coaches want that, but – He's going to build in some opportunities in this scheme to just say, all right, go be physical. And if the ball's near you, just go try and make a play because you've got help over the top from the safeties. We just want you to try and take some chances and flip the field for us. And Melifon was a guy who definitely was capable of doing that uh, in college. If the ball was near him, he, he could make some plays. Um, But he is really, this is really, interesting guy it's like again the size but also you you just sort of assume watching them because of that height that it may be clunky when he has to turn and run and it yeah. might be <laughs> yeah. not, not look natural when he's got to you know plant mm-hmm. and close on something and it those are his best moments yeah. like he flips his hips so well if, yeah. if he's got a chance to come down and this is sort of the the positional versatility the safety in him like if the play is in front of him and he's coming downhill he will come up and finish those plays. So there's a lot in his game that um, should translate because I think that there is enough of an athletic profile there to let him hang at multiple spots. Yeah, Holmes talked a ton on draft night about um, how Melifonu played in zone coverage, about how, you know, you think, and you just mentioned it, you think so much about these guys, these long-arm corners, you think about them and what they can do from a press standpoint. But Syracuse played a ton of zone. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was in zone a ton and 
was, and I think that's why he mentioned all this was his fluidity with just like, and you mentioned when he flips the hips and gets back and can drop and run. Uh, yeah, he looks like a safety, but like also he can plant and then explode and close ground on a ball over the middle, like a corner. So it speaks to a guy that can do a little bit of everything, but still a guy that strength wise has a long way to go. Um, he still gets, I, you know, him at the at the line of scrimmage and bump and run right now would be would be interesting, right? Against against the guy with you know if you want to put him out there against DK Metcalf and see what happens, more power <laughs> to you. I don't think yeah. it's going to end too well. So like those yeah. are things uh, that he still needs to, a lot of work on. You know, run support would be another one. You know, we we looked um, a lot at this and it would show up routinely uh, on his tape. You know. Not a big fan of taking on blocks uh, all the time in space where we look at a guy like Jeff Okuda, and that's one of his best attributes where he just doesn't care. He'll cut loose and go get it. Uh, those are things still I think – I still think he's learned how to play football. I think there's a lot about – in the same way that when we talked with um, Aaron Glenn about Dunbar, switching from offense to defense, and obviously this isn't the same thing, but he's still learning that mentality of it has to be there on every snap and you have to have some of that – sort of dog that is in there because we we can see some finger wagging and things that show up in Melifon Wu State, but like it's not always there. You know what I mean? So needs to be there all the time and and that's stuff that has to come out. Because yeah, there you can watch him get lost, screw up, and make like four straight mistakes and then he'll and then he'll force a turnover just out of nowhere because he's in the right spot and boom, it clicks. And that's the kind of things that you see routinely for him. So those are the things that need to even out. But Super exciting and intriguing prospect. I just don't know what he's going to do in year one. I really have no idea. Yeah, I mean, you brought up an important point that he played. They played a lot of zone. He played basically only one side of the field. He was yep. just exclusively on the same side of the field at, at Syracuse. Um, so if you're playing him man, if you're flipping him from side to side, if he has to fill in at random spots, you know, what does that look like? And that, that's it's a really tough position to play in the NFL in general. It's brutal for rookie cornerbacks oh to step God. in, yeah. as we saw with Jeff yeah. Okuda. Um, so, yeah, this is one where maybe you you really do kind of lower the bar for that first year. But that said, it's also another spot where, same as linebacker, like if Alex Anzalone gets banged up, Derek Barnes is going to have to play a lot. And if Quentin Dunbar hasn't played six, I mean, he's played 16 games like once in the last five, six seasons. So you're probably going to need either Melifanwu or Oruwari. Someone's going to have to step in and start at some point. So how quickly can you get this guy ready to play? Because you don't really have a lot of options. And I think that that is a lot of this year, you know, is going to be what we're talking about here, trying to find, trying to walk that line between how do we compete and how do we get these guys some moments where they can develop because it's hard to just sit and watch the whole year right, and get exactly. better. Like they're going to need to play because Melifon was a guy that they're expecting to be here for a while. So yeah. where do you get him in there and how do you use him? Yeah, I think that he's definitely, yeah, exactly. Where, where What spot are you going to have him work at, I guess, would be, Leave him there, leave him alone, and then find places for him to sort of enter situations and work situationally. And I think a lot of that will take care of itself. Guys get hurt, you know. I mean, I think he's going to play. I just don't know how much. And really, it'll be about, you know, how many of those kind of like mental errors that show up a lot on his tape are going to go away. Because that's the one thing. I mean, they won't play him if he's going to be out here and getting lost. I mean, you know, the Clemson tape is a, is a fun one to watch for him because he makes a lot of plays against some really good players in that game. But Trevor Lawrence just destroys him a couple times too, but because he just, he's right. picking on yeah. him because he knows he's got him caught in situations that he's, he's turned around. He doesn't know where he's at. And, you know, that happens way more than it should as well. So like, those are things that he does have to even out because that's the, the, the line that he and Barnes both really are going to have to walk because, they can't play if they're going to be, you know, having some of these issues that show up and and really just take everybody away and, you know, hurt development somewhere else too. But at the same time, they do have to play because you're looking at this overall and saying like, well, in 2023, we need Derek Barnes to be a starter and we need Melifonwu to be a starter somewhere in this defense. And like those are – that process has to start right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking about like you Monday night – Week two in Lambeau, if you trot Melifonwu out there to handle <laughs> Devontae Adams for a rep, 
I'm pretty like, sure I know where that ball is going on that yeah, play. Yeah, and like, why um, would you do that? Like, but, <laughs> well, they, right, but then you okay. look back to last year and you say, they did do that to Okuda. Like, so like, whatever. But yeah, right. That's probably not a good idea, but like. Yeah, they, I just mean, I, like, at some that. point you yeah. might not have a right, choice. Exactly. Like, you might yeah, not no, have a choice right. at some yep. point. You're going to have to, kind of, this is going to be trial by fire for a lot of these guys. <laughs> and so, you know, you just try to get them as ready as you can. And I, again, I, we haven't seen this coaching staff in action. We don't know what it's going to look like, but I think a big part of this is just going to be making sure uh, that guys aren't just totally left out to dry right, exactly. uh, in those tough spots. So those, that's what you want they, to avoid. That's why I was like, yeah. that's why I was joking there. But like, that's what they yeah, did to right. Okuda, <laughs> right? Where oh, it was yeah. like, and you know, they did it. Happened. They did it last year, and we saw what happened. So yeah, you don't want to do that if you can avoid it. And hopefully, they're in a situation for some of these guys, and I think they are, especially with those two, where they can avoid that. Um, you know, I guess we'll see what health and everything else sort of dictates, but yeah, at some point you do want to see what they do against Devontae Adams. You're right. I mean, uh, and that's the, the balance you're weighing there. All right. Well, that'll, uh, we'll wrap up there for this episode. Just a reminder that, uh, again, we'll be back on a regular basis starting at training camp. And as Nick uh, mentioned, we'll hopefully you'll have a bigger presence on the athletic mm -hmm. uh, app at that point. So something to look forward to. I will also mention, uh, besides the film reviews, um, Nick just had a story go up really, really cool feature on Bobby Lane as part of our NFL 100 series. Looking back at the top, uh, players in NFL history, we've got, uh, a couple more lions mm -hmm. on that list to come. And I've got a additional, uh, feature on junior sale for that project. And, um, we've got, uh, what else? We got Calvin Johnson's hall of fame induction yep. coming up. A couple more things Something here. cool for that. And then obviously training camp gets going, uh, in a couple weeks and we'll have, uh, you know, daily coverage from Allen Park. Uh, Still a couple more film around, things, you know, too. We'll do yeah, um, yeah. Ponce and uh, Lee McNeil here. <laughs> Gotta go clear my schedule here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sounds like a lot now that I'm saying it all out loud. When you really so. lay it out there, Chris, I don't, you know, I'm not too comfortable with all this. Uh, <laughs> but again, thanks to everyone who has uh, listened to the show, rated us, reviewed us. Uh, certainly those of you who have reached out on Twitter wondering when we're going to record again sorry for keeping you waiting so long as we took some time off but uh, yeah we'll be back on a weekly basis and occasionally a little bit more than that once training camp is going all the way through the season so uh, stick with us on the show and make sure you get over to The Athletic and pick up a subscription I'm sure we'll have some deals running as preseason and, and the regular season get going so uh, for Nick I'm Chris thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon